Well, welcome back. Coming to you live, the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. A delight to welcome back to the show Congressman John Shattuck, former Congressman Shattuck, represented Arizona's 4th Congressional, old 4th Congressional District, for 16 years in Congress, and he is our Scholar-in-Residence for Freedom (laughs) Studies. How do you like that, John? Will that work for you as a title? I love that title. Freedom is my favorite word. Freedom is your yep, favorite word. I love that title. Well, yep. well I, gotta, I, I was debating over how to start with you today because you so generously gifted uh, young David and myself with some books of your daddy's um, last time you were here in studio. And among them was one I started reading this weekend uh, or over the holiday weekend, Barry Goldwater, Freedom is His Flight plan a book your daddy wrote in 1962 um and your dad is just so poetic and uh you are the residual legatee of his gifts and um we thank you for 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 being willing to talk about him so i I was thinking you know as we look back over the year of 2023 how will we remember how will historians look back on it will they look at it through the gaze of foreign policy problems and issues, or will they look at it through the gaze of domestic issues? And I'll propose on the first one a line that your daddy wrote, which was poetic, sadly and tragically poetic, in the opening of Chapter 9. Your daddy wrote, In 1940, a cruel insanity possessed the minds of half the world, numbed the senses of reasonable men, and engulfed all human life in the senseless, merciless ambitions of certain leaders. I think you could look to places in the Middle East and China, and I think you could see the engulfing of senseless um, supporters as relevant today as much as it was in 1940. But I don't know, maybe I'm overstating it. Yeah, you take it from there. No, I I, I certainly don't think so. I think... We are exactly where we were there in that in that respect, and that is we have uh, uh, cruel insanity in the form of different uh, philosophies or different applications uh, of a philosophy uh, which crushes human freedom and which rewards centralist planning and central power. And uh, we have those threats this year. Um, when you're in your first question, the initial question is how will they remember yeah, it? Yeah. I suppose that that depends on the lens of the of the viewer to a certain degree. But I think uh, if if you had to strike a balance, it would probably be in the area of foreign policy because you have the uh, insanity of Putin launching a war that most people in my generation, I think, if you'd asked them two years ago today if they thought there would ever be a land war similar to World War II again in their lifetimes, they'd have said no. Those wars are over and gone forever. Um, and, and, and you'd have ruled it out. You just said, no, the, the new war will be a nuclear war or mm-hmm. uh, it'll be an electronic war. It'll mm-hmm. be some kind of a different style of war. It'll use uh, technology we haven't thought about, but it won't be a grinded-out-on-the-ground war. And yet, Putin launched a grinded-out-on-the-ground war, and the world's letting him get away with it. It's mm-hmm. just saying, and I think a lot of people would have said, uh, no longer would the world tolerate 
a powerful neighbor deciding it was going to take its neighbor's territory. And I think they just said, regardless of the creation of that neighbor. Mm-hmm. Some people say, well, you know, Ukraine's bounced back and forth and been under the influence of Russia before, and this is nothing but a repeat of the past. And I think if you'd have told people that scenario, like I said two years ago, they said it doesn't matter yeah. how the second country was created. What matters is uh, a, a neighboring powerful country it will no longer be allowed to just seize its neighbor. Uh, and and yet we've pretty much now established the principle that if the neighboring country has nuclear power or can convince the world it is it has nuclear power or the ability of nuclear weapons, it can do what it wants to do, and it can do what it wants to do to its neighbor, and the rest of the world uh, will sit on its hands. And then when you look at uh, what has happened in the Middle East, you say, well, I guess uh, neighbor attacking neighbor Mm -hmm. uh, over uh, ancient hatreds Mm -hmm. uh, is not gone. Mm -hmm. And and there it's not... uh, communism or socialism or fascism there it's this uh history and so you have uh uh, countries uh, advancing uh cruel policies driven arguably by insanity Mm -hmm. and and it persists today as much as it did in what year was that 19 60 or before? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, well, your daddy's quote was about 1940, which is an interesting year to to put things at because, well... He wrote it in 62. He wrote it in 62. Right, 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 right. Uh, but, the, yes, and, 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 and I want you to maybe weigh in on how both of those things presage our attitude regarding Taiwan. I, there's a lot to say about that, too, isn't there? Well... Absolutely. China has announced it wants to do the same thing to Taiwan. And we have, for uh, decades, uh, been able to set the world precedent that you're not allowed to do that. And today we're saying, we say you're not allowed to do that, but we're not necessarily willing to prove that with any action. Uh, and, And I think there's a grave question whether we would, in fact, do anything. Uh, at least in in my opinion, uh, I think that uh, it is anything but certain that the United States would send uh, dramatic or significant military hardware and personnel to go defend Taiwan from Russia because uh, the words freedom or communism or socialism uh, have lost all all meaning to the average person. And, and and many in the United States think, well, communism isn't such a bad idea. Socialism isn't such a bad idea. Now, if you leave the country and go somewhere else, go to some country that's been ruled by those, or, or, or someone that's lived in one of those countries. I think I've told the story on here before of uh, getting in a cab in Washington, D.C., and you talk to people who lived under socialism mm-hmm. or lived under communism, and they get it. Mm-hmm. But... Is that a majority of Americans? Yeah, that, and this is where you come in so handy with your thoughts in history, John, because you think about that year, 1940, that your dad put his finger on, and interesting year to choose. If you think about the conservative movement, not that there was much of one, but if you think of those who would generally describe themselves on the right in 1940, perhaps more than anything, the phrase, not our war, not our business, that kind of thing would have 
would have tripped off their lips, your Charles Lindbergh types, etc. <clears throat> but after 1945, it was the conservative movement that would do everything and anything to defend any friend and defeat any foe. And I like to remind people, so much an animating part of the conservative movement was Taiwan that in 1972, a congressman, John Ashbrook, challenged a sitting president, Richard Nixon, with an endorsement from William Buckley exclusively on the defense of Taiwan. That was his entire platform was that Nixon was soft on Taiwan. This was how much part and parcel of the movement that view was. And today we almost hear those same 1940 echoes in our movement, whether it's Taiwan or whether it's um, an invadee of, of, of Putin's or whether it's the Middle East. You hear those echoes coming back a bit, don't you? Uh, absolutely, you hear them. Uh, two comments on that. One, uh, most people do not realize how passionate Barry Goldwater was in his defense of Taiwan. Right. Um, right. Uh, it, it, is all, it goes unmentioned in, in uh, many of the discussions mm-hmm. of him and of his activities, right. but he was uh, passionately, adamantly de- uh, committed to defending Taiwan yeah. and saw that, I guess to use today's uh, vernacular, he saw that as a line in the sand yep. uh, or a red line that, yeah. that if Communist China were ever to uh, go after Taiwan, seek to dominate it, seek to take it over, launch an invasion, uh, that was to him the one thing we could never stand still for. Hold that thought right there. Let me take the break and pick up on that. We'll take a quick break, John, because this is an important point you're making. Yeah, look up Taiwan Relations Act in Goldwater. You'll learn a lot. John Shattig and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Shattig, Congressman John Shattig is my guest. We're talking about conservatism and foreign policy and foreign policy in America. And, John, you were talking about, in respect of Barry Goldwater, and really the idols of the conservative movement up through the early mid-'80s, they were uh, passionate about the defense of Taiwan. Sorry for the commercial interruption. Go right ahead with where you were on that. No, I I just think that's true, and it's true of many of them. And they viewed that as kind of the defining issue of the time. Um, They had... They had seen the Korean War, uh, and they said, never again. Mm-hmm. And they recognized that uh, if Communist China were to become aggressive, if it were to decide uh, it wanted to take additional territory, the starting point would be Taiwan, because they do exactly as Putin has done in Ukraine. And that is to say, oh, well, that was ours before, so you have no legitimate right to complain against our simply taking back what was ours. Mm -hmm. And those who understood the threat of communism, and it's interesting, even that phrase, the threat of communism, Mm -hmm. that's a phrase you don't hear today. Mm -hmm. But it was a phrase that I heard as a kid growing up, and it was a phrase that uh, conservatives used back when uh, almost all Americans understood the notion of a threat by communism. And when you know, some Americans, you and I grew up in Phoenix, were, were digging bomb soldiers. Yes. I went to Madison 1, yeah. and, and I had friends, yeah. at least one I knew of in the neighborhood. We all knew about it. And you know, most people had to keep them secret because yep. they didn't want neighbors <laughs> invading them. <laughs> but we knew of one, one kid in the neighborhood whose parents had built uh, a 
bomb shelter in their backyard. And then the other thing you talked about what's going on today, I have solid conservative friends who are conservative in my mind on every other issue who say, well, we shouldn't be not, not our Ukraine. war, not our we fight. Have, yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. Repeating what you just right. said, not right. our war. Now, they're not. Yeah. I'm not sure I've heard many use that phrase. Maybe they don't want that phrase used against them, but they say that very thing. Yeah. And to me, some of them, uh, even candidates for president, have said, you know, this is literally not our problem. Right. And it's as though Russia could would have to today deliver its weapons or its uh, bombs by sailboat. Well, yeah. guess what? Yeah. That's not the case. The Atlantic right. is no longer the Great Barrier. That's right. That's right. They can be here in flashes of a second. That's right. And so we kind of have a weird crossroads in this discussion with our friends because I think you wouldn't – I probably look at this or talk about this in much the similar way. And yet what we will be told – you've heard echoes of this, John, I'm sure. Well, Reagan and Goldwater and those guys, that's kind of a yesterday view. That's kind of that was right then, but we've moved on from that. You hear that, don't you? I have. I absolutely I hear it. They they don't agree with that. And to some degree what they're doing is they're skipping a generation. They're yeah. skipping the generation that went to war without thinking through a strategy or the consequences. Yeah. They had no exit strategy. Uh, Vietnam was that, and then we repeated it uh, in the Middle East. Right. Um, Right. And and I understand and sympathize uh, with those who say that they oppose never-ending wars. Right. But you don't know on day one if it's a never-ending war, number one, unless you decide strategically you're not going to let it become a never-ending war. And of course, in this instance, Biden hasn't figured that out, or if he did figure it out, it meant giving Ukraine support he was unwilling to do because every decision he makes is political. We talked about Goldwater's use of extreme, the word extremism right. and that phrase yeah. in his acceptance speech. Yeah. Nothing political about that. That was pure philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and yet Biden's decision is, well, how do I craft a line down the middle where uh, the people who support uh, Israel uh, I don't offend and the people who support uh, the the other side, even though what they did was horrific, how do I not offend them? And he and he wants to not offend either one, and so that's a great way to get into a never-ending war. It really is, and it brings back so many of the wrong lessons from Vietnam. It seems to me one of them being Sirik um, Matak of Cambodia saying, "If you think it's hard to be America's enemy, try being America's friend." And that no, no, but nothing could be sadder, right? Nothing could be sadder no, than did. that because to govern is to choose, and this is to borrow from Reagan again, perhaps a time for choosing. You can't have both. You just can't. Tyranny and freedom. I don't think in the case of war. Yeah, go ahead. I don't think in the case of war that you can. They, I think you have to choose. Right. And and the recipe for disaster, uh, or the recipe for uh, complete destruction and useless loss of life useless loss of life, is not to choose. You look at what's happening in Ukraine, and it is tragic. Out of uh, fear of Putin, we have allowed Ukrainians to die by the score and the country to be devastated because we didn't have the courage to end the war quickly as we could have. We could have 
uh, well, the America of one day could have said to Russia, this is unacceptable. Uh, Here's how much we're... here's how much we're going to allow you to keep or not keep, and then it ends. And if it doesn't end, then you will pay the consequences. And I think you would agree probably that, you know, we're talking war and maybe scaring people, but it's an entire framework of foreign and defense policy postures that avoid war. So if we were strong from the get-go, they would know not to meddle with us or our allies. Exactly. It really goes to credibility. It's prevention, isn't it? Yeah. The reason that we could rule in that fashion or be the world's leader in that fashion is because if we were pressed to carry out uh, our stated intent, they knew we'd do it, and we had the credibility to make them believe it, and so they wouldn't. They, they would, in fact, back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Soviet missile crisis uh, is an example uh, of that, and yet uh, we don't have leaders with that courage anymore, and we don't have that extent of credibility. And this president, having started the way he started it in Afghanistan, yeah, that destroyed so any many foreign, any foreign yeah. policy mm-hmm. credibility uh, he might have had coming into office. I think that's it. exactly right. I, th- I think that's absolutely right. I think Afghanistan was Ukraine, and Ukraine will be Taiwan, and God knows what's going to happen with the situation in Israel. But that's exactly right, and it was avoidable, right? That's what Churchill said to Roosevelt. This could have been avoided. This could have been and, avoided. It would be known as the and, unavoidable, as the avoidable war, yeah. And I guess at this moment in time, it's, it's worth making the point, um, because it's election season, yeah. that we often say, well, this is the most important election of our yeah, lifetime. Yeah. And then we give reasons for why that's true. Yeah. And then the next year rolls around and we say again, this yep. is the immor- most important election of our lifetime. Yep. I would make the argument that you can say some of those uh, assertions were accurate in some election years, some were perhaps not accurate. But in this year, when you understand how we are perceived around the world, uh, consistently everywhere in the world as weak, um, and how we could change that by changing both the president and the party of the president, um, then you realize, wow. Yeah, let me pause on that and come back. Wars. Let me come back on the break on that point, because I think there's an added element, you probably agree with me, <clears throat> with the march of socialism and the acquiescence of it also makes turning it around now or never, it seems to me. Be right back with John Shattuck. Congressman John Shattuck is my guest. And, John, we were talking about that phrase so commonly thrown around, this is the most important election in our lifetime. And I think you would agree with me, I'm building off something you said here, that this one is that because the stakes are so different than they have been in the past. For decades, it was Republican versus Democrat with a general with a general view that the Democratic Party had of America that might be Johnson-esque or might be Kennedy-esque. Um, Barry Goldwater, of whom we were speaking earlier in 1960, warned of the blueprint for socialism in the Democratic Party. Blueprint is, you know, design. It's kinetic yep. now. It's active now. It's not a blueprint anymore. The socialist movement is firmly at home inside the Democratic Party with all kinds of beliefs, but also 
no qualms about standing up and saying you're a socialist running in the Democratic Party and no qualms about the Democratic Party's leadership endowing it. That it, makes that things last, so much more the yeah. pregnant. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. It's that last point. Yeah. Uh, there was a time in America, and we went through the kind of the, a period when the word socialist was used as a pejorative yep. and, and people would be embarrassed yep. if they were accused of being a socialist. Yep. Today, yeah. it is completely acceptable yep. in everyday discussion to say, well, you know, I'm a socialist. Yep. I believe the socialism, socialist system is better, or I'm a communist, yep. and I believe it's a better system. And you get uh, corporate America, which wants to do business, and China saying, well, you know, their system is so much more efficient. They don't need agreement amongst all these people. And so they, with a straight face uh, and... and uh, all the sincerity they have can say, uh, well, communism is just a different form of government. Right. And there's nothing nothing proven that shows it's really wrong or bad, which, you know, 20 years ago, you'd have scoffed at them and, and at least considered them a an out-of-step radical. Uh, but with today's woke world, and it's interesting to see where it's going to go, yeah. with a lot of Democrats now saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not going that far. Uh, it's interesting to see where we are headed because there's no guarantee that we'll continue to turn away from woke beliefs uh, or whether we'll continue to embrace more and more of them. Yeah, this is the disappointment I have with our political situation right now, which is the opposition to the leading candidate for the Republican Party is about statements removed from public policy, personality type qualms and uh, uh, disagreements over style and personality qualms and and that sort of thing. Temperament, I suppose. It's about temperament. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. That's that's the Republicans' dissent against their leader in the party right now. What we don't find is the same animation of animus against the socialist tide in the Democratic Party, which really does affect public policy, which really does affect this country. In other words, we really are at a point where the personal is more important than the political. And it's odd to me, John. It's odd. Well, the structure for that, I think, comes from uh, the thinking class or the business class or the uh, socially appropriate class, those that set policy or, or set uh, language that's acceptable and language that's not acceptable. Okay. And that class has for years said socialism and communism are okay. They're not bad, and we should consider them and debate them, and, and, and they are getting an unfair shake. But one of the things they do is that they make uh, views of the right uh, and maybe it's not even views of the right, personality of the right. They make those into, to use Hillary's word, deplorable. Yeah. Oh, you you cannot like uh, Donald Trump, yep. because if you like Donald Trump, then you are socially unacceptable. Yes. And so the vast majority would rather, they, they'd be more embarrassed to be to admit they were a Trump supporter than to say, well, I think socialism or communism yeah. might be acceptable system. And now you've and brought it, me it's full not a matter circle. Of philosophy. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's not a matter of philosophy. It's, it's not a matter of philosophy. Yeah. It's social embarrassment. So now and, you've brought and me. He full... doesn't help that. 
Yeah, no, he doesn't. I get that. Yeah, no, I get it. He is who he is. But we are who we are. And if I can bring that full circle on the other side of this break, it seems to me it goes back full circle to Goldwater in 64. About, I think, similar things were said and felt in our movement. Let me pick up on that with you, John Shattuck, when we come right back. John Shattuck, the head of Shattuck Associates, LLC, and, of course, former congressman from Arizona's old Fighting Fourth. Congressman John Shattuck is my guest. John, um, let me put it to you this way and let you unwind it or fix it or correct it or however you want to uh, teach me. Because <laughs> you were there and I wasn't. I, 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 you, well, you were there. I wasn't. And your daddy certainly was part and parcel of it. But it seems to me there are analogs to what is said about the party leader right now as they were said about the party leader in 1964. Now, I don't mean to make direct comparisons between Goldwater and Trump. I don't mean to do that. But the same things were said, which led to the same kind, it seems to me, reticences, reticency over affiliating or saying you were a Goldwater Republican or you would vote for Goldwater. After all, he got seven million fewer votes than Nixon did four years earlier. Something happened. Something something was tainted. And and it seems to me that anyone who could redo that, you know, if they if they if they if they had the chance of a do over, they would have gotten over themselves because we're still dealing with the problems of that self-importance in 1964, that self-imposed moral superiority of not wanting to not wanting to be associated with the, the unwashed and the deplorables of that era. Every time the budget debate comes up over non-discretionary spending, it's because we lost in 1964. Quite honestly, it is. So I don't care what kind of Republican you are, even if you're merely a fiscal Republican, 1964 was the uh, was the pivot point. That's what gave you the great society and the programs we now call non-discretionary that we can't touch. I just think people would get over themselves, and I would hope that we wouldn't have to look at this election in, 20, in 2024, years hence, and say – I wish I wasn't so morally superior. It's about our country. Am I on to anything here? Well, I think you're clearly on to the right making the same mistakes it made in the past. Okay. Um, and uh, I think the left has always understood that to be elected, their policies have to sound pleasant and, if possible, need to look like a giveaway. Sometimes you get something for nothing. And the right has always appealed to rationality uh, and to to doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who says, you know, Republicans try to sell broccoli and Democrats give away Hershey's bar. bar. And and we're in the same position. And lots of... uh, Supporters of the current leader of our party or the current leader in the presidential race are for him because he is right on policy or on philosophy, but they don't understand that that's not what wins elections. People want to like the candidate and want to believe their life will get better. And that's where personality blends in. If by dint of your personality and in... uh, um, Trump's case, I think it's 
he kind of wants to be offensive. He wants to be on the extreme. In Goldwater's case, he thought he was simply being uh, middle of the road and direct, not deceiving people. Goldwater was not ever interested in deceiving anyone, so he wouldn't. So he would say something like the phrase in the acceptance speech yeah. of, you know, it's appropriate to defend freedom. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing. And he would say it in whatever blunt way he needed to, not because it would get him votes, but because it was true. Democrats have always understood the truth didn't matter. It was how did it sound? Yeah. Did it sound like I was going to get something good or something for free? Yeah. And and I think we're repeating that again. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way to phrase it. Um, one is about authenticity more than anything else, and one is almost about nurturing a certain a certain attitude or image, I suppose. And it's not always winning, and it's not always the same. Let me ask you one well, other. Yeah, they, go ahead. They, they want they want to draw votes to get power, right? And and if the the thing they use to draw votes actually does harm, it doesn't matter to yeah. them. Yeah. Because there might not be any relationship between that and what they do once they're in power. They may not do what yeah. they said they, they do. But certainly, uh, they believe that they're better at making the decisions for the people than letting the people make them. And that lifts responsibility from the people at the get go. Mm-hmm. And more and more Americans are saying, not what John F. Kennedy said, but the opposite of yep. it. Yep. You know, ask not what uh, I can, what the country, country can do me. Let me yeah. ask what I can do for the yeah. country. Yeah. Their guiding philosophy is, uh, we'll tell you what we'll do for you. Yeah. And of course, by doing it for you, they're stealing from you uh, your essence. It, re- it really was a pivot point with the election of Obama on that very point. He made no qualms about wanting to reverse the Kennedy, uh, the Kennedy dichotomy. And people jump. Well, to and that. look at look at Biden. Biden, in a stunning way, not only has demonstrated that they'll make the decision. So he announces, uh, "We are making no effort whatsoever. We are not going to take away your natural gas stove, or we're not going to take away uh, right. uh, your gasoline car." Yep. And then days later, they say, "Well, yeah, we don't want any gasoline stoves. We don't want or any uh, natural gas stoves." Uh, that's bad. So industrial policy is what his administration is all about. Yeah. And they take your freedom in, yeah. in tiny little ways. You can't pick the fuel to run your car that you want for your car because you believe it's the best. Yeah. Instead, the government decides it. You, and you can't do that with your stove, and you can't do that with uh, your paint thinner because the government has banned most of those, or your lacquer thinner, or anything. The government is at will through industrial policy to tell you what you will do. And all those decisions that used to make up your freedom are now taken away from you by government bureaucrats. I'm so glad you used that phrase, industrial policy. That that phrase itself should, for those that know a little bit of history, should send shivers down spines, especially if they know a little bit about history and a little bit about China. Industrial policy ends up with um, with, with, with a vacuum of freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you, we should it's, use that phrase more. We should bring it back. We should use it's it. Stealing more. our freedom in incremental ways mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So people can Google. Yeah. That is shocking. And this guy has done it more than anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they do it 
quite the opposite of authenticity. As you put it, they say they're not doing it, and then they do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They I mean, tell you that. that you recall, that, I think it, that I think happened it was, with gas stoves. That is exactly right. what happened with gas, gas stoves. Stove issue. Right, right. It exploded a few months right. ago, and, and you'll recall they flat out denied it. Right. They said, no, that right. is absolutely untrue. Right. There is no organized effort whatsoever to take away people's natural gas stove. Hey, John. Uh, we're not doing that. That's a myth made up by the right. Uh, we and got within it. 60 days, uh, the policies and programs that were designed to have it happen were revealed. I've got to go, but I'll just leave you with this final thought on that final point. If you like your doctor, you can keep him. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's how they talk. It's not how they govern. Yep. 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 And then, in fact, once the program's in place... You have no chance of keeping your doctor. And then it becomes, yes, and then, yeah, that's exactly right. And then You might, you, you might get lucky, <laughs> you might but the odds lucky. are stacked against it. Well, John, uh, thanks for being with us this year. I'm looking forward to doing 2024 with you. Happy New Year to you and the Shaddigs. Great. Thank you so much. You Same betcha. to you. Talk to you soon. Portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They are good people where they have an investment that actually helps people. It's an investment where there are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, complete control and peace of mind. No attack on principle if you ever need your money back. And, of course, you get a monthly statement with no surprises in this secure collateralized portfolio offered up by Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. A 10.25% fixed rate of return. And it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24. John said a couple of things. I just want to maybe wrap up here, wrap up in a uh, in a bow here. Uh, that broccoli versus Hershey bars is not just politics. It's everything. It's everything. Um, if you had a, you know— a coach that said, well, I can keep you in shape. I think Adam Kroll was saying something like this the other day. I can keep you in shape uh, and uh, healthy if you do, you know, 50 push-ups a day and watch what you eat. And you have someone else telling you, no, nah, eat all the donuts you want. Who are you going to, who who would you rather, you know, who, 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 who would be more tempting to spend more time with? What, what, what do you want naturally? Um, you have to have a vision of ends to understand the distinction between what donuts now or push-ups now will do for you. And we're the party of push-ups. The other thing that I just wanted to plant a flag on and come back to subsequent shows if we want was a phrase that uh, John Shadig used in speaking about the, um, the, the, the attenuated fear of Vladimir Putin. The, the, the weakened fear, the um, vanishing fear of someone like Vladimir Putin. And I get that, to be sure. It's an important thing to keep in mind of. We should remember the evil of evildoers. We should rem- remember the, 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 the avarice of the dictator. It's not my primary concern, though. What my primary concern is, and I think we really need to be worried about, and I take you back to my monologue in the first hour, is too much fear of America. 
and not from abroad, not from abroad, too much fear of America and Americanism right here at home. You don't have that fear. You don't have to worry about the Putins of the world or the Xi's or the Nasrallah's or the Haniyas or the Ayatollah's. On behalf of David Dahl and the rest of the crew here, welcome back. And until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth, and class is dismissed.